Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy. Call all hands. Speak to quarters. Come out the guns. Stand by this tower battery. One broadside into it, if you please, Captain Bush. Pointers on target. Limstock ready. Aye, aye, sir. Ready. Fire. Michael Redgrave as C.S. Forrester's indomitable man of the sea, Horatio Hornblower. utterly weary as I was after the Natividad plunged, burning under the surface of the deep Pacific. The accumulated strain of planning and fighting the action had worn me out so that I sank almost fainting into a hammock chair on the deck and slept as one drugged. It was the sun lifting clear over the horizon and blazing into my face that finally woke me. What is that? Oh, good heavens. I've slept all night. Good morning, sir. The wind's back round and I'm holding our course close hauled. Uh, 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 morning, Mr. Bush. It's a miracle we can hold a course at all. Look at that rigging. Splices everywhere and hardly a sail without shot holes in it. Yes, sir. She looks a tattered old vagabond. But our makeshift mizzen mast is still standing, sir. Good. Those decks are still furrowed and grooved with shot. The sills are black with powder. There's an 18 pounder shot half buried in that bit of tough oak, sir, and went. And nevertheless, you've done wonders. Uh, I might have done more, sir. But the men were so exhausted, I had to send them as many below as I could. To tell the truth, sir, there's more dead on deck than living. I uh, almost feared to come to that, Mr. Bush. Uh, what is the butcher's bill? Pretty heavy, I'm afraid, sir. I've got it on a bit of paper here. Um, 38 killed, 75 wounded. Mm. All missing. They were in the launch when the Dividad shot hit it and sunk it. All the same, sir. People don't go mad when they hear your victory. <laughs> it isn't every day that a frigate sinks a ship of the line. Ah, victory, Mr. Bush. I shall remember to give you all the credit you deserve in my report. Well, <clears throat> I shall go down and visit the wounded. You better get some rest. Uh, oh, good heavens, Lady Barbara... I... I'd forgotten our passenger. Is she still in the all-up? As far as I know, sir. I've been too busy to see. Well, my steward will have looked after her. If high-born ladies use their position to force themselves into fighting ships, they must be prepared to face the consequences. To tell the truth, I was a little uneasy at my neglect of Lady Barbara Wellesley. But I'd had much on my mind. 
The low decks in the all-up at the scene was like an inferno. It was hot and airless, and the four flickering oil lamps added their smell to the stench of bilge, powder fumes, and sick men. Here, 75 wounded men were crammed together, groaning and sobbing, blaspheming and vomiting, under the care of the incompetent lorry who might appointed surgeon when our own surgeon had died. Thank God you've come, sir. Well, I've come to make you assume your responsibilities, not to relieve you of them, Mr. Lorry. Now, come round with me and make your report. Now then, this man. Good heavens, Lady Barbara, what are you doing here? Good morning, Captain. I'm sponging the poor man's throat. But, but, but tending the wounded is a man's job. The filthy work of a hospital is not fit for women. No, don't do that. Go away from here. Go on deck. Now, please understand me. I am not attempting to be noble. But there is work to be done in the king's service. And if nobody else can do it, a Wellesley must. If one of my brothers can govern India and another can fight the Marathas, I can do my part. Look at this man. He has a great splinter of wood under his skin. It ought to be extracted at once. Uh, yes, mm. certainly ought. Mr. Lorry, are you ready to extract this splinter? Well, ma'am, I... Oh, don't be a fool, man. If you will not do it, I will. I will see that it's done immediately, Lady Barbara. But please, go on deck. I shall do nothing of the kind, Captain. I am going to help. But, but... Oh, well, as you will, ma'am. Now, Laurie, where are your instruments? Wilson, Hudson, bring a stiff tot of rum and stand by to hold Williams. Now, Williams, we are going to get that splinter out of you or you'll die. But it's going to hurt you. which elapsed before we rounded Cape Marlow was a grim period, though fortunately the weather held fair. Had we met gales, I could hardly have kept my leaking, battered ship afloat. Although some of the men became convalescent under Lady Barbara's care, gangrene, shock, and exhaustion was imposing upon me the daily task of sliding hammer-grapped bundles overside into the blue Pacific. This uh, ladyship's compliment, sir. Could you spare a moment to step below? It's, uh, Mr. Galbraith, sir. Galbraith, Mr. Bush, I thought he was improving. So he was, sir, in spite of Lorry's surgery. But her ladyship's worried about him now. Uh, I'll go immediately. Oh, Captain, I'm so glad you've come. I don't think he's going to last much longer. I'm sorry, Lady Barbara. I'd hoped that he would be spared. Is he conscious? He is delirious. Uh, he, he thinks I'm his mother. Uh, Give us your hand, Mother. It's awful dark. Give us your hand. I'm here, Donald. Don't be afraid. It's light beyond. Poor boy. Poor, poor boy. A good boy. God grant he has found the light. Lady Barbara, come away, if you please. Up on deck, the sun is shining. It is not fair, Captain. It is not fair. He was only a lad. He was not ready. Had it not been for you, there would have been many more such scenes. Lady Barbara, if I resented your presence on this ship, if I showed that resentment in any way, I, I humbly apologize and ask you to forgive me. There is nothing to forgive. Let us go on deck. Oh, my God. 
Captain, we're in sight of land. Yes, ma'am. We're just entering the Gulf of Panama. The land on the port bow is the Pearl Islands. A Spanish craft, Captain? Yes, Captain Manuel Diaz commanding. It was this same lugger that brought me the news that Spain was now our ally. And your letter requesting a passage on this ship. Oh, it seems a hundred years ago instead of but a few weeks. And now here we are almost back in Panama, which I thought never to see again. I would prefer not to see it, ma'am, especially if the yellow fever still rages there. Yet if I do not refit and provision, the ship will sink under my feet. She's sending a boat over, sir. Uh, looks like the same officer we met before. It is. I recognize him. Well, he should be pleased that we've accomplished our mission and destroyed the Natividad. Stand by. He's coming aboard. Good morning. Good morning, Captain. I trust your excellency is enjoying the best of health. Thank you, yes. I see from the damage and the wounded on your decks that your fine ship has been recently in action. I hope that your excellency has had good fortune in the encounter. Uh, we sank the Natividad, if that's what you mean. You sank her? We did. She's completely destroyed? She is. Oh. <coughs> then, sir, I, I have a letter to give you. Uh, no, no, no. That is not the one. This letter, sir. Thank you. Uh, <coughs> you are aware of the contents of this letter, sir? I am, sir. And I take it from your hesitation that had I not sunk the Natividad, you would have given me the other letter. May I ask the contents of that one? I have no other letter for you, sir. Indeed. And so, by this document, I am prohibited from dropping anchor or entering into any port of Spanish America, the Viceroyalty of Peru, the Viceroyalty of Mexico, or the Captain Generalcy of New Granada. Can you explain this most unfriendly behavior on the part of the Viceroy? I would not presume to explain my master's actions, sir. Mm -hmm. Whatever I think of this action, it's not compatible with the dignity of a British officer to bandy words with you about it. Indeed. My compliments to your master. I will call at no port on the Spanish man. Please convey to His Excellency my lively sense of gratitude at the courtesy with which I have been treated, and my pleasure at this further proof of the good relations between the governments of which we have the good fortune to be subjects. And now, sir, I have much to attend to. You have my permission to return to your ship. Facing the storms of Cape Horn with my ship leaking and jury rigged. Sorry, the mark! Nine! Still nine fathoms, Mr. Bush. Well, this place seems very suitable. Aye, sir. Made for the job. Lucky we found this channel between the mountains. Aye. Look, sir. Right ahead. It shows to a bit of beach. Yes, golden sand, too. It'll be excellent for careening. Except for the heat. Ah, there'll be no escaping that here, sir. The mountains cut off the breeze and reflect the sun, too. 
Oh, it's, it's like an oven, sir. Can't they help? We must make the best of it. We're lucky to have found such a place. And now, Mr. Bush, time is important. We must work like Trojans to make ourselves secure before the Spaniards discover our hiding place. Call back the cutter. We'll anchor here while you and I go ashore to explore. My word, sir. It's an absolute jungle. No human foot has ever trod here. I imagine not. But let the escort keep a sharp lookout, nevertheless. Ah. Now, that's the last of the vegetation. Another sharp scramble up these rocks, and we shall have a view of the whole bay. Ah. As I thought, Mr. Bush, these headlands make a natural fort. Two of our 18-pounders up here, and no ship shall dare to approach through the channel. 18-pounders, sir, but... But they weigh two ton apiece. Yes, rigging tackles and swaying them up here in this heat should keep the men amused until we're ready to lay the ship over and begin the serious work. See to it, Mr. Bush. The serious work? Oh. Aye, aye, sir. It was work, 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 night and day, until we were all dropping with weariness. When all repairs for the ship were done, she had to be loaded again. The guns brought aboard, and the rigging re-rope and set up. But when I stood once more on the deck with a staunch ship beneath me and a broadside which could fire, I was happy again and could snap my fingers at every Spaniard in the Pacific. In all these weeks of labor, I'd had no time to spare for Lady Barbara. But her smile as she crossed the deck to me showed that I was forgiven for my neglect. Give me your hand, Captain. I congratulate you on having achieved so much in so little time. Thank you, ma'am. My cabin is marvelously comfortable again. You've made the ship like new. Thank you, Lady Barbara. The men have worked well. It's, uh, well, it's heaven to me to think that we're at sea again before night. You are a very fine sailor, sir. I doubt if there's another officer in the King's service who could have done all that you have on this voyage. I, um, glad you think so, ma'am. I've only done my duty. England is your debtor. I shall try to help see that she acknowledges that debt. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, um, pardon me, they, they'll have that cask going through the bottom of the cutter, you know. Easy on those tackles there. There's the man. He was almost human for a while. Increasingly difficult to remain civil to that young man. Here comes his boat. Good day to you, Captain Diaz. Um, have you brought me some more amiable letters? <laughs> no, only to see you, sir. I congratulate you on the amazing difference in your ship since I was last aboard. How were you able to effect such repairs? I know you have not been into port. British Navy, sir, takes but small heed of such trifles as a refit. Oh. To what do I owe the honor of your visit? I wondered, sir, whether you would honor me by visiting my ship. 
I should be able to show you <laughs> something of interest which would demonstrate our ability to continue without your assistance. Well, uh, uh, what, uh, what is it you wish to show me? I would prefer to surprise you, sir. Would you not oblige me? I assure you I intend no treachery. Also, my lager is within range and your guns could sink it with a single broadside. If you are not back safely within the hour, your officers may open fire. Don't go, sir. I shall visit the lugger, Mr. Bush. Send the cutter after me to bring me back. But, uh, uh, aye, aye, sir. by displaying undue curiosity about the surprise awaiting me. He led the way to the foredeck. And there, in the blinding, scorching sun, chained by the waist to a ring bolt, with irons on his wrists and ankles, half naked and wholly filthy... Captain, I think you have already had the pleasure of meeting His Excellency Don Julian Maria de Jesus de Alvarado y Montezuma, who calls himself <laughs> the Almighty. El Supremo. The half-mad fanatic whose rebellion against the Spanish I had been sent to assist and against whom I'd been ordered to turn when the Spanish had become our allies. Bloodthirsty despot though he was, it, it troubled me to see him thus. You're not this Captain Hornblower that I wear these chains now. It is a whim of mine. Do you not think they set off my fear guard? Uh, uh, yes, yes, they do. We are on our way to Panama, where I shall mount the throne of the world. They speak of a gallows awaiting us on the bastion of the citadel. That will be the framework of my throne. Golden it will be, with diamond stars and a turquoise boot. Only El Supremo is left to govern from his golden throne. It's wrong. It's wrong. Chains. These are chains. Why am I chained? I, the Almighty. No God. <laughs> and you, oh. Captain, is it not? Oh, he will sometimes struggle and shout for 24 hours without stopping. Amusing. Captain Diaz, this Captain filthy Dad. cruelty is a shame to you, is a stain to your nation. You mean you're going to hang him, mad as he is, with no chance of making his peace with God? Mad or sane, sir, rebels must hang. Your Excellency must know that as well as I do. Then for God's sake, hang him and cease torturing him. We are very glad you have returned, Captain. I hope the promised surprise was a pleasant one. Uh, <clears throat> oh, uh, a trifle, ma'am. These simple things, you know, amuse these Spaniards. I... Pardon me, ma'am. I must go below. Oh. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. Hornblower, starring Michael Redgrave, is based on the novels by C.S. Forrester. 
Music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. We present Nigel Anthony in The Hornblower Story, adapted from four of the C.S. Forrester novels by Val Gielgud, with Terence Skelton as William Bush. Part two from Lieutenant Hornblower, Sealed Orders. While Renown ploughed her course westwards across the Atlantic to the West Indies station, there were two questions, which, for her crew, and more especially for her officers, seemed with the passing of each day more urgently to require answering. Following upon the accident to Captain Sawyer, would First Lieutenant Buckland take it upon himself formally to assume the responsibilities of taking command of the ship? And what were the contents of those sealed orders from the Admiralty among the captain's papers? The orders which defined the objectives of Renown's mission once she reached her station. Swathed in a canvas straitjacket, the captain lay in his cabin. Unless reduced to insensibility by laudanum and bleeding, he either screamed or sobbed. A crew that under the tyranny of a mind already deranged had been fast disintegrating could now again be made seaman. For the officers, and for me, the junior lieutenant, Buckland's decision was the vital thing. Only with Lieutenant William Bush did I find it possible to open the problem... How much longer before Mr. Buckland opens those orders, Mr. Bush? God knows. If he takes the ship down to Antigua only to find out afterwards that he has to beat it back to windward, he'll get his knuckles wrapped finely by my lords. Mm -hmm. And if he reads secret orders, he's liable to be reprimanded for presumption. What's your reading, Mr. Hornblower? Greatest altitude I've ever measured. I've never been as far south as this before. Now, what's your result? I'm... <clears throat> Not certain. What's the difficulty? Oh, I can shoot the sun. No trouble about that. It's the calculations that bother me. All those damn corrections. Oh, well, they're not so hard, sir. Now, check against mine. Now, plot the position with parallel rulers. Mm -hmm. now, there's the point of interception. Mm -hmm. Now, we can check against dead reckoning. I see. Now, we're still being set to southward. We're not far enough east for the Gulf Stream to set us north. You said you'd never navigated these waters before. Well, that's so. Then how? Well, I suppose you've been studying. Well, at any rate, there we are. It's something to know that much. What do you think number one will do, Mr. Hombler? Uh, he must make up his mind, now or never. We lose ground to lure every day from now on. What would you do? I'd read the orders, Mr. Bush. I'd rather be in trouble for having done something than for not doing anything. I wonder... Those orders may detach us on independent service. It's a chance in a thousand for Buckland. I suppose it is. You wish it was yours? <sighs> I must put these things away. I'm exercising the lower deck guns crews after hands have had their dinner. And my first dog watch after that. Yes, Mr. Hornblower. Permission to have the deck wash pump, Rigsa? 
men feeling the heat, eh? I don't know about them, but I am, Mr. Roberts. I have 15 minutes, plenty of time. Oh, very well. Thank you, sir. Captain of the waist there. Get the wash deck pump rigged at once. Four men for the handles, one for the hose, and jump to it. Aye, aye, aye sir. sir. Give away. Hornblower has some odd fancies, oh. Mr. Bush. He seems to be enjoying himself, sir. Well, oh, rather him oh. than me. Oh! Up! Up! Fast pumping down! Captain of the way, secure that pump, get the next one. Aye, aye, sir. Back with you in five minutes, Mr. Roberts. Oh, right out, I hope. What's going on here, Mr. Roberts? Mr. Hornblower wanted a bath, Mr. Buckland. I don't know if it's good for discipline. We'll hope he doesn't get himself a fever checking the sweat like that. No sign of that, sir. Well, it may clear his head. Perhaps he could clear mine. Yours, sir? I need a clear head at this moment. Send Mr. Hornblower to my cabin when he comes back, Mr. Roberts, and ask the surgeon to join us. This thing's got to be settled. Aye, aye, sir. Mr. Bush? Find Mr. Clive and let him know that Mr. Buckland wants him in his cabin. Well, Mr. Clive. He's done it. Read the orders? As far as I know, yes, Mr. Roberts. What do you mean by that? What was in them? They're secret orders, Mr. Roberts. Even if Mr. Buckland had taken me into his confidence, I couldn't tell you. No need to be pompous about it. What did the captain do? What didn't he do, Mr. Bush? Poor devil, we might have been fiends from the pit. You should have seen him car away when we went into his cabin. You would have thought we were going to cut his throat instead of just finding the key of his desk. That man is suffering the terrors of hell. I suppose you would not be guilty of exaggeration, Mr. Clive. I would not, sir. I repeat, the terrors of hell and all the sorrows of this world. Hmm. And did you find this precious key? We did. Mr. Buckland opened the desk. Well? Mr. Buckland found the orders. The usual linen envelope with the Admiralty seal. So he's now read them and were none the wiser. Well, God bless my soul. I don't imagine we can expect to know what's in store for us. We've only been at war for nearly ten years. We just obey orders. Helm a lee, let go and haul, grape shot in the belly or champagne in a captured flagship. Who cares? We draw our four shillings a day, wet or fine. Well, I'll wager a week's pay on a change of course, my miss. The Buckland's read those orders. Mr. Clive? No takers. Officer of the watch. Here, sir. We're altering course two points. Steer southwest. Course southwest, Mr. Abbott. Southwest it is, sir. By Paul, hands to the braces. Another pull on that fore brace there. Your pardon, Mr. Buckland. Yes, Mr. Roberts. Can you tell us our mission now, sir? No. It is still secret. Very good, sir. 
But I can tell you where we're bound. San Domingo. Scotsman's Bay. San Domingo? Hispaniola. Haiti. Three names for the same island. I am obliged to you, Mr. Bush. Hmm. Haiti, that's where the blacks are in rebellion against the Spaniards. That is so, I believe, Mr. Roberts. If you ask me, Captain Sawyer's not the only one that's nervous. I didn't ask you, Mr. Clive. I wonder, is it of the blacks, or is it because Captain Sawyer's still alive? I would suggest that as surgeon you go below and attend to him, Mr. Clive. That is your business. Glad there's some company up here, Mr. Hornblower. She's rolling damnably. Rolling? She's wallowing. Oh, Lord! (laughs) (laughs) Yours must be a cast-iron stomach, Mr. Bush. What the devil must we lie home to like this? Mr. Butlin seems to want time to study the lie of the land. He's been studying it through that telescope of his for a good half hour. Why can't he make up his mind? There's nothing to see at this range but the mountains of San Domingo. How much more does he want to see? We know there's a fort up there, flying the Spanish colours. And everyone on shore must know by now that a British ship of the line is prowling about. The dons don't have to be clever to guess we're not here on a yachting trip. All we're doing is giving them the time they need to prepare a reception for us. What else could Buckland do? They could have come in with the sea breeze under cover of darkness with a landing party ready. Put them ashore at dawn. Stormed the place before they knew there was any danger. Oh, damn this rolling. Hard luck. <coughs> Mr. Roberts? Sir? Pay her on the port tack. Fallen by. Aye, aye, sir. Port tack, helmsman. Aye, aye, sir. That's better. It's something. Oh, I could wish we were going into action, not running away to think about it. Anxious to eat fire, Mr. Hondler. Yeah, nothing like that, Mr. Bush, sir. Quite the opposite, if you must know. Oh, I wish for too much too quickly, I suppose. Now, gentlemen... <coughs> I know you've been curious about my intentions. I propose to take the bull by the horns tomorrow morning. Satisfied now, Hornblower? I trust you're all satisfied, Mr. Bush. Your pardon, sir. We'll round the Samana Point and force our way straight up the bay. Here, gentlemen. Uh It Mm. won't take many broadsides to wipe out any shipping at anchor. Particularly any privateers, sir. Just so, Mr. Roberts. We'll sink them or burn them. Then we can decide what to do next. Any questions? No trouble with the tide, sir. As I understand, none. What about the south shore of the bay, Mr. Buckland? There is the fort. I have a plan to deal with the situation, Mr. Roberts. <coughs> have you anything to ask, Mr. Hornblower? No, sir. And then that will be all for the present, gentlemen. Well, the gun crews would be glad to see some action, sir. Stomach still Indeed, troubling Roberts, you? Let's hope they quit no. themselves out, maybe. Not happier at the prospect of action. Not this one, Mr. Bush. Clear decks for action! All hands to quarters! Clear for action! 
Bush was in command of the lower gun deck and of the 17 24-pounders on the starboard battery. Under him, I commanded those of the port side. I saw a group of the surgeon's crew carrying the straight-jacketed figure of Captain Sawyer to the safety of the cable tier. A pitiful wreck of a man, writhing and weeping. There were ship's boys with buckets of sand to give firm foothold to the gun's crews. A ring of extra fire buckets round the mainmast. Slow matches smouldering in tubs for the rekindling of linstocks. A marine with fixed bayonet posted at each hatchway. The gunners in list slippers, standing by their tackles. The powder monkeys scurrying about the deck, each carrying a charge for the guns. The breechings cast off and the gun crew standing by. Ten men by every gun on the starboard side, five on the port side. Bush would redistribute them when and if necessary. We don't run the guns out yet, Mr. Hornblower. Very good, sir. Silence, sir. Sir. Yes, Mr. Wellard. Mr. Butler's compliments. I'm pleased to run your guns out. Thank you, Mr. Wellard. Up, ports. Run out. Try a ranging shot at the batteries when your guns bear, sir. Your orders, Mr. Wellard? No, sir, Mr. Buckland's. Then say so. My respects to Mr. Buckland's. And it will be some time before my guns are in range. Aye, aye, sir. Yes, Mr. Hornblower. There's a point running out ahead, Mr. Bush. You see the shallows there, sir? Mm-hmm. Now, the channel must bend round them. And there's a battery out there on the point. You see the smoke? Yeah. Now, they must be heating for red-hot shot. I dare say. But we'll be under crossfire. Not for too long, I hope. That's the fort, sir. No doubt. And here it comes. Their aim's pretty good, Mr. Bush. Too good. I might just reach the battery on this side now, sir. Then try what you can do. Can't you open fire yet, Mr. Bush? This minute, sir. Fire! Oh, just short, sir. When the guns are hot, they'll reach it. Carry on, then, Mr. Hombler. Open fire, first division! hot shot had begun to strike home on Renown. Smoke was curling up from a deep gash in the deck beams by my head. From above I could hear the rush of feet and the clank of pumps, which told me that on the main deck too they were fighting fires. Then I realised something strange in the feel of the deck under my feet. A perceptible slope, a queer sense of rigidity and permanence. We had run aground smoothly on a mud bank, doomed to be shot to pieces by that accursed fort, as the battery failed to roast us alive where we lay. The tide's still rising, Mr. Hornblower. It's an hour before high water and we're pretty hard aground. 
Steady there. Swab that gun out properly. Do you want your hands blown off when you reload? And now to high water, you say, Mr. Bush? Yes, God help us. If I can keep their embrasures swept, sir, I'll slow their rate of fire, even if I don't silence them. But the fort's still out of range. Yes. Mr. Buckland, and we're aground under fire. Keep your mouth shut, Mr. Wellett. I'll leave you in charge down here, Mr. Hornblower. Aye, aye, sir. You want of me, Mr. Buckland? We have to kedge off this confounded sandbank, Mr. Bush. Aye, aye, sir. Get a cable out aft through a stern port. Very good, sir. And Roberts? Sir. You must take the stream anchor off in the launch. Aye, aye, sir. And shall I take the men from my gun, sir? Do that. Shifting the weight would help. Tell Hornblower to take some of the foremost guns and run them off. There might be an alternative, sir. What? If I fired all my guns at once, it might just break the suction. Worth trying, by God. I'll have them loaded and ready in three minutes, sir. I'll tell them, the captain. Thank you, sir. Load and double shut your guns. Climb and run out. Await my order. Very good, sir. I'm sure it's our best chance, Mr. Butler. No need to explain. We'll try it. It's a pretty pickle, Mr. Bush. Poor Roberts is dead. Roberts. Cut in two by a shot as he entered the launch. It makes you my number two, Mr. Bush. Settle at the capstan bars there. Brace your feet. Tell Mr. Hornblower to fire his guns when ready, Mr. Bush. Aye, aye, sir. Take the strain. Heave there. Heave. Shifting, by God. I think so. Silence! You'll come to the quarterdeck with me, Mr. Hombler. Aye, aye, sir. No more firing till further orders. Further orders, sir. So far, so good, Mr. Bush. We're off ground, but we've lost the flood. If we touch again, kedging off may be impossible. Yes, sir. We could get out with the land breeze, sir. I know that as well as you do, Mr. Hornblower. But do you know what that means? It means defeat. My first command. They'll pound us to pieces, sir. There's no help for it. Help them heave in on the spring cable, Mr. Bush. Get a head round to sea. Aye, aye, sir. First heaving on the capstan there. Cast off stern cable, messenger. Shall I warp her down the bay, Mr. Buckland? Yes, yes, warp her down. When the tropic night closed down upon the battered renown, Buckland sent for Bush and me. His cabin was like an oven. Its two lanterns seemed to give out an intolerable heat. We sat staring at the chart upon the table, while the sweat trickled under our uniforms. The question is, what's to do? Should we bear up for Jamaica? I wouldn't go so far as to advise that, sir. What else can we do, Mr. Bush? Tell me that. If we head for Jamaica, sir, we go with our tail between our legs. True. All the same, there's Captain Sawyer to be thought of. Captain Sawyer? With a success to our record, there might be a less diligent inquiry into the matter of Captain Sawyer's supersession. 
If we limp in defeated, I'm likely to be asked why I took upon myself the responsibility of attacking Sir Manor Point. What do you think, Mr. Hornblower? I agree, sir. You do, do you? Yes, sir. We did our best, damn it! Anyone could run aground in the channel. Nothing could get up the bay under such a crossfire. We might still make a landing on the seaward side, sir. A landing and a surprise attack. Mr. Bush? Well, sir... Go on. Mr. Hornblower didn't mention to me. He thought a surprise landing might have more chance of success than bombardment of the Fortran battery. But that was before the Dons knew there was a ship of the line in the neighbourhood. Why didn't you suggest this masterly plan to me, Mr. Hornblower? It was hardly my business, Mr. Buckland. That responsibility for success or failure is mine. Have you changed your mind? I think something might still be tried, sir. As long as it was tried at once. You mean tonight? It would be the best time, sir. The Dons have seen us driven off. Excuse me, sir, but that's how it looked to them. The last they saw of us was beating out of the bay at sunset. They'd be pleased with themselves. But an attack at dawn from another quarter over land, that would be the last thing they'd expect. Might well be. Just how would you make this attack, Mr. Hornblower? Well, the wind's fair for Scotsman's Bay, sir. We could be there in less than two hours. We could have a landing party told off and prepared by the time we arrive, say, a hundred seamen and the marines. Mm. There's a good landing beach there. Inland, the country may be marshy. Um, oh, that's here, sir. Just, just below the hills of the peninsula. Mm. But we can land on the peninsula side of the marsh. I marked a spot yesterday. You did, did you? Go on. Well, a landing party should reach the crest without difficulty. They can't lose their way with the sea on one side and Samana Bay on the other. They simply move along the crest, then rush the fort at dawn. Now, what with the marsh and the cliffs, the dons are liable to keep a poor lookout on that side. You make it all sound very easy, Mr Hornblower. With 180 men? Enough, I think, sir. What makes you so sure? Well, there were six guns firing at us from the fort. I counted them. Ninety men at most. Sixty, maybe near the mark. Add an ammunition party and men to heat their furnaces. 150 men altogether. More likely as, as few as 100. Do you think such an attempt might succeed, Mr Bush? It might, sir, but time is getting on. A second repulse would be ruin. Yet, once the fort is in our hands, we can deal with the privateers up the bay. They could never use it as an anchorage again. That's true, sir. Damn it, let's try it. Very good, sir. Now... Uh, Who's to command? It would have been Robert's duty, sir, if he'd left. Mr Bush, you will take command. Yes, sir. Who do you want to take with you? Do you require me any more, Mr Buckland? If not, sir, I... Do we need Mr Hornblower any more, Mr Bush? I'd like Mr Hornblower to come with the landing party, sir. Very well. It will leave me with only one lieutenant aboard. Uh, several of the master's mates are good watch-keeping officers, sir. Very well. <laughs> You look troubled, Mr. Hornblower. What is it? I was wondering about altering course, sir. We could head for Scotsman's Bay at once and, and, and save a little time. Hmm. We'd better get her before the wind. We'll set course in a few minutes. Any further suggestions, Mr. Hornblower? Well, only one, sir. We might take with us some grapnels with lines attached. They might be useful if we have to scale the walls. I agree. Remember to see they're issued. Yes, sir. Will you need a runner? It would be as well, sir. Anyone in particular? A young Wellard. He's reasonably cool-headed and thinks quickly. Then all is settled? Yes, sir. 
And it only remains to set course and issue the orders. You will see to it, Mr. Bush, if you please. Aye, aye, sir. Oh, Mr. Hornblower, I've been meaning to ask you, how, in your opinion, did Captain Sawyer come to fall down the hatchway? Well, I fancy he must have overbalanced, Mr. Buckland. The ship was lively that night, if you remember. Yes, I suppose she was. Very well, then, Mr. Bush. Carry on, if you please. Good of you to ask for me, Mr. Bush. You deserved it. It was your notion in the first instance. I'm glad you picked young Wellard. He needs a change from the ship. After what he's had to put up with from Sawyer. That's true enough. Any more news of the captain? Ask Clive. All he does is shrug his shoulders and wink and look the other way. But I can't believe Sawyer will last much longer. I'd not be in Buckland's shoes. Unless this landing comes off. No, certainly should help him. I don't look forward to the inquiry for all that. No. Well, if you'll have course set for Scotsman's Bay, I'll give the orders for the landing party. You'll not forget the grapnels, Mr. Bush, sir. Do you ever forget anything, Hornblower? Where the Samana Peninsula began, a small watercourse had worn a wide gully in the cliff at the easterly end of the beach. That night's sea and surf and beach seemed to be afire with the phosphorescence of the water, vividly lighting up the oar blades as the launches pulled ashore, carrying the landing party. We landed thigh-deep in water, and it seemed thigh-deep, too, in liquid fire. Our weapons and cartridge boxes held high to make sure they were not wetted. Bush was excited and tense. It was all I could do within the bounds of discipline to hold him back from plunging ahead at once in violent action. I might have sounded confident enough in Buckland's cabin. It was another matter on that beach in the darkness, with the conviction growing that on the success of our enterprise depended not only the lives of myself and Bush and 180 men, but also the reputation of renown and First Lieutenant Buckland's professional future. of Lieutenant Hornblower. You heard Nigel Anthony in the title role and as the narrator, with Terence Skelton as William Bush. Mr. Buckland was played by David Peart, Mr. Roberts, Paul Hertzberg, Wellard, the boy, Mark Hudson, and Mr. Clive, the surgeon, John Jardine. Location recordings were made by Christopher Hayton Webb and David Fleming Williams aboard the IP Torso. The musical score is by Johnny Pearson. The Hornblower story is directed from Manchester by Trevor Hill.
Thanks for joining us for 1001 Radio Days, your home for Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.